Welcome to Pentecost Sunday, which I'm calling God's Launch Plan. Why I'm calling it that will become clear soon. So let's read the Bible passage that tells us about Pentecost. Stephen, would you mind reading this for us? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people have not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. We're not going to read out what the prophet Joel predicted because it's what happened, which we are aware of. Um, and you can see why I asked Stephen to read that passage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> today is the day that our church and every church in the Western world celebrate uh, or remember the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. But what does this really mean for us? What's the, what's the big deal about this? Why is it a, a day on the church calendar? And to help make that clearer, hopefully, let me tell you about something that's incredibly important to each and every one of you, but which you probably don't know much about. You're affected by this in every day in many ways. In fact, I could point to dozens of ways you're all affected by this right now. And yet the general public pays little attention to this, this hidden thing, despite its vast impact on us all. But before we get into that, let's keep the tension and, and let's pray. Lord, 
please help us to understand why you sent your Holy Spirit the way you did and, and what that means for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what's this incredibly important and yet generally unknown thing that helps us understand Pentecost, hopefully? <clears throat> I'm talking about the product development process. Who knows about the product development process? Yep, Stephen, sort of. Mabel does because she's in marketing. Robin does. <clears throat> so products like, say, this projector, this e-note pad, the phone in your pocket, the computers over here, um, the Proclaim software that's running our slides and doing this magical synchronization, um, the shoes you're not wearing. <coughs> um, <laughs> thank you for that. The, the cars that you drove here uh, or were driven here in, etc., etc., etc. The products that we're surrounded by in our, in our technological world have all been developed by teams of varying sizes over varying periods of time. But all product development has some important features in common. Let me illustrate with the uh, software product development that I'm most familiar with. First, uh, a product... This isn't software. Uh, uh, but a, a product must meet a need in order to be worthwhile, right? Yes, it's true there are plenty of products that, are, that don't meet very urgent needs, like luxury cars or, say, diet water. But, uh, but for a product to endure... That's Japanese, so, yeah, that says it all. Um, yeah. <laughs> Japanese really struggle with obesity. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, obviously. But for a product to endure, it, it, it must meet a real need, a felt need. Uh, programmable computers, for example, are, are a great example of a product that meets a need. They're so useful that we put them in our pockets, uh, we wear them on our wrists, um, and we buy them in many other forms such as tablets, laptops, smart TVs, and even the traditional desktop computer, which you'll see one of over in the study over there, if you want to go and look. They're fairly rare now. But, um, <coughs> but software, software is what makes these things so useful because it's infinitely malleable. So uh, the problem with software is how do you decide how it's going to work, what it's going to look like, what it even does? Because it can do so much, it can, it can be so many things. This involves market research, of course, or, or perhaps you simply extrapolate from your own needs. That happens. Uh, at DreamSpring, which was our company, um, we brainstormed ideas and, and then Mabel's marketing team did lots of market research at this stage called the concept stage. Every product starts there. Next, products require time, effort and skill to develop. The more complex a product or the more difficult to manufacture it is, uh, the more people you need to develop it. You need to be sure that the income from selling the product is going to more than cover both the costs of developing it and the costs of manufacturing it and selling it. If the product's something like software, that, which is usually doing something new, 
trying to estimate how much effort is required at this stage to develop it is, is notoriously difficult. Uh, project management, especially to a deadline, was of course always tricky for us because we were a software company. We did lots of things to try and make it more accurate, but even then we still were only loosely accurate. Uh, sorry. Uh, in these first stages, both concept and development stage, product development happens in private. Some products, like say uh, anything from Apple, are top secret. Most software is certainly developed quietly, simply so that you can get it to market with, uh, with a jump on your competitors. And we shared some ideas with potential customers in order to get confirmation that we were on the right track. Big companies use things called NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Um, I don't think we used them on people, did we? We certainly signed some to get information from big companies that were developing software and we wanted, uh, or hardware and we wanted sort of early access to it. <clears throat> but even we kept things pretty quiet, and we were just a small company. And finally, finally you need to get the product into people's hands. Can you read what that says? It says launch stage. Yeah. Sorry about the air conditioner there. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's hard to pay your employees who develop and manufacture your product if you can't sell it. Getting people to use a product, especially if they have to pay for it, is not easy. They need to understand their need for the product and they need to be aware that the product exists and that it meets that need. And they need to trust that it will meet that need. And they need to be able to actually get the product. Um, software, obviously, nowadays, it isn't that hard to get. But back when we started... In DreamSpring, it wasn't a simple matter of putting something on the internet. Not everyone had the internet. An important part of getting a product to people is the launch plan. If you can launch the product in the right place at the right time, then you can multiply how many people who need to hear about it get to hear about it. But you need to have the product ready for launch. You need to have the ability to deliver it and it needs to do what it claims to do. For example, think of Apple's famous <coughs> iPhone launch events and the associated endless queues. Now, Apple does that deliberately, of course. <coughs> but it's become less common as the iPhone has become uh, less incrementally valuable to customers. When we launched our products at DreamSpring, we took advantage of the annual smartphone trade show at the Cavernous XL Centre in London. If anyone who's been there knows, it's, it's absolutely vast. The UK actually were using it as a hospital recently um, during the first lockdown when nobody knew how bad COVID would be because it's just huge, it's massive, and it's next to an airport. Amidst all the excitement and uh, media there, even a small company like DreamSpring uh, could make a lot of noise. Look at all that noise. 
being in the midst of all of this was, of course, exciting, but also exhilarating. You can see from our expressions where <laughs> just holding it back, just, just. Now, <laughs> now I'm not, I'm not going to go into the topics of product support or refinement because that's not really relevant to, to my illustration. Indeed. You may be wondering why church has suddenly changed into a business development seminar. That's all free. You get that one for free. (laughs) What does this have to do with Pentecost? (laughs) Well, God's plan of salvation for all people is, is not a product. It does share many features with product development. So let's take a look. You see, God recognized that the greatest need of humanity is for relationship with him. We need that, but it's unavailable because of our rebellion, our sin, which separates us from him. So just as a great product meets a great need, so too God's salvation meets our great need for relationship with him. And just like product development, God's plan of salvation took time and effort. He started immediately in Genesis 3. In fact, God assures Adam and Eve through his curse on the serpent. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So God started on his development immediately. Throughout the history, God is at work developing his great plan of his great work of salvation. In fact, this is what the Bible traces through history. The nation of Israel was formed to bring this about as God tells its father, Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. While this project wasn't top secret, like an Apple project, you could say that it was done sort of in private. God worked in the little nation of Israel, which shrunk to the even smaller nation of Judah, to bring about the salvation of the whole world. It wasn't done in secret, but it wasn't done in front of the world either. And finally, when the time was right, God sent his son Jesus to effect his plan of salvation. And Jesus did exactly as his father asked of him. And he died for all our sins. It was now time to make this wonderful gift of salvation available to the world. How did God do this? What was his launch plan? Well, Pentecost, of course. It turned out that God's launch plan was a bit weird. You see, Jesus, who you would expect to be the VIP at the launch party... You know, the, like Steve Jobs coming out on the stage. Hey, yeah, gift of salvation. It'll change your life. 
Jesus had already returned to God. He wasn't even there. Judas said to Jesus, this is before he ascended, Lord, why are you going, not going to, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Because Jesus had said to his disciples that that was the case. And Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. So this was always part of God's plan. He was always going to send the Holy Spirit because God wanted that direct relationship with us. So we find a small bunch of disciples huddling in a room waiting and the Holy Spirit does come. He comes at a time when people from all over the world have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Jerusalem was full of people Pilgrims and the Holy Spirit exploits this. It's like the XL Center in London, except better. <clears throat> As the disciples are filled by the Spirit, they spill out of the house, praising God and speaking of the wonderful things God has done. But they are speaking by the power of the Spirit in all of the languages of the visiting pilgrims. Now, (coughs) Wycliffe Bible translators speak of their mission as translating the Bible into people's heart language. You see, even when people can speak a second language, even fluently, it still doesn't resonate in their souls like their mother tongue. Our mother tongues speak directly to our emotions, to our core, to our hearts. Most of us are monolingual Australians and it's hard for us to to really understand this. But for example, when Mabel communicates in Cantonese, she experiences something that English can never convey to her, even if you're just saying the same meaning. This is, of course, why banning our indigenous Australian language, Australians from speaking their own languages was such a grievous evil. And this is also why when we are sharing the gospel with others, we need to use the language and words of their hearts. Theological terms are not helpful in evangelism because we need to speak the language of the hearts we're speaking to. And lost hearts are not yet theological hearts. And so the miracle of the Spirit, the miracle that the Spirit brings about in Pentecost, is perfectly targeted to communicate most effectively and widely the message of good news, the 
ultimate good news that God had made a way back to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection. While the story of Pentecost in Acts 2 can seem rather anticlimactic, it is in fact explosive. And the end times are on the world. We're in the end times. And this message is communicated with a power and in a time and place that guarantees, because of that impact on the hearts of the hearers, that it will spread around the world within months. And it does. It did. But given such an amazing launch for the church, for the final age of salvation, you might then wonder why the book of Acts continues. Book of Acts. Why does it detail the missionary work? This, this just speaks of missionaries to me because I don't live there and it looks sort of exotic and, and somewhere that missionaries would go. If, if this was your home church, obviously you'd be going, like, why does he put a little parish church up there? But... <clears throat> For us, the vision of missionaries is always somewhere else for us, right? Why why do we always need to be going to somewhere else, to someone else? We don't have to go somewhere else to go to someone else. Why Why does Acts concern itself with the work of the apostles and later Paul? Why isn't this fire of the Holy Spirit just carried out from Pentecost? Why isn't that enough on its own? Well, who here has watched commercial TV? <laughs> yep, we're all old enough that we've all watched commercial TV. Maybe if we're talking to the kids, we might get a few people who haven't. Um, have you noticed those tiny, strange stories that constantly interrupt the show you're watching? <laughs> I wish it was called a live news update. <laughs> Yeah, ads. Why do you think that those things, and of course they are ads, why are those things repeated so often? You know, you get an ad and they just play the same ad over and over. And, like, they never stop advertising for, like, Colgate. Doesn't everyone know about Colgate already? Like, they keep on advertising. It's the same thing. Like, I've seen ads for Colgate Total for my whole life. (laughs) Yep. Do people know why they just keep repeating it? Just in case you forget. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It keeps it fresh in your mind. But also, what about our kids? Colgate needs, you know, our kids need Colgate total, right? <laughs> our kids need lays. They need lays that they can cut in with their claws. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people do need to hear about your solution to their problems in their own language, but also they need to hear the solution multiple times in different ways before it finally clicks. So for new customers, they need to see the ads, multiple different ads, multiple times, and slowly it wins them over. Um, if, we, if we had time for a further marketing talk, there's, this is advertising. There's, there's a huge amount of psychology behind this. 
And it's the same with the gospel. The, the psychology works with anything. The same with the gospel. We do need to keep on sharing the good news over and over in multiple different ways to many different people. We can't say we've told everyone the good news. Done. It just doesn't happen. We're like advertisers. We've got to keep on keeping on. Uh, that's an ad. <coughs> yeah, from VP, right? Now, you might be asking, how do we do this? We don't have millions of dollars for an advertising campaign. In fact, we've got zero dollars for an advertising campaign because that's what we allocated um, just in our budget meeting. Sorry, inside joke. <laughs> um, and uh, what's the modern equivalent of the Feast of Weeks with all its pilgrims? You know, how can we, how can we capture that dramatic, explosive event? The good news is we don't have to do any of this. If we... If we look through Acts, through the rest of the book of Acts, we find a refrain. Some scholars actually discern the true purpose of the book of Acts through this refrain, and some use it to divide Acts into its different Acts, I guess. <laughs> the Acts of Acts. Is that what they call them, Stephen? Uh, <laughs> it would be cooler to call them Acts, though, right? You can, you can call them Acts. <laughs> um, so what is that refrain all the while praising God this is the version of it from uh, Acts 2.47 all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved the Lord added that's the refrain Throughout Acts, the Lord added to the fellowship, to the church. The Lord added. So some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles were not winning people over. Their clever words and beautiful lives were not the absolute critical element. They were important but the work and power of the Holy Spirit. That was the key element. Sure, the Holy Spirit used their words, but it was he who changed people's hearts, even the apostles' hearts, so that they could actually speak those words. In fact, next week in Acts 3, um, it, Acts 3 has Peter, sorry, I'm just telling you this because it just struck me, Acts 3 has people uh, has Peter preaching to the people in the temple in response to the people's amazement at the work of the Holy Spirit in healing the beggar at the steps of the temple. And so the Holy Spirit's power attracts people to hear the Holy Spirit's words through the work of Peter. And so it is for us. We don't need an excellent marketing. We don't need excellent marketing collateral. It doesn't go astray, but we don't need it. And we don't need dynamic advertising or clever campaigns because day by day, the Lord adds to our fellowship of the saved. Our job's simple to love 
and obey our Lord. As Jesus said, he who loves me will obey me. To love our neighbour as we love ourselves. And he'll take care of the rest. Isn't that thrilling? Isn't that exciting? So let's pray. As we remember Pentecost, Lord, help us to remember this amazing event that we are still caught up in thousands of years later. Your extraordinary rescue mission for the human race. Help us to glory in your glory. Help us cheer our good God on. Help us throw ourselves into loving and serving you, Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.